0: and We about to sit for and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he didn't up. Brennan t on your social media feeds. And buddy.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. I am your host, Brennan Tassif. You are new to the show quick rundown of the show i used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy it was my favorite thing to do hang out with friends get drunk do drugs get in all sorts of trouble and reminisce about crazy old stories i am sober now but that is still one of my favorite things to do reminisce with old friends about crazy stories most weeks i will be joined by a guest this week is no exception Cal- oh, i almost said california indiana comedian madelon martin
0: oh hi you know, we are the, we, you know, global warming continues. We will be the next California. It was <laughs> clear. Um. What's up, man? Not much, man. Just drinking coffee and excited to be on the podcast for the first time, man. I appreciate it. Uh, tell everybody um,
1: up front, plug everything, where they can find you. You do a festival out there now. Um, tell everybody about that. Well, I shouldn't say now. It's been going on for a few years. So So let yeah. everybody know where they can
0: see all that. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I yeah, I've been doing comedy for 13 years. I've got a couple albums out. Uh, My third album comes out uh, in a couple of days. By the time that people see this episode, it'll be like a week or so uh, in the past, such as the magic of podcasting. (laughs) Uh, But so when they people see hear this, they'll be able to get the third one, too. It's called Midnight Nachos. It's coming out on Helium Comedy Records uh, on Friday, June 24th and very excited about that and so that'll be on all the normal places uh apple music amazon itunes all that kind of stuff i don't think it's going to be on streaming the big streaming services because there's still that bullshit that's going on where they're pulling uh comic stuff um i don't know if you've addressed this yet on yeah the podcast. we've
1: actually uh colin chamberlain a very funny comedian out of new york originally from pittsburgh is on the uh helium uh Comedy label and uh he was explain he explained this to me apparently with all the craziness happening.
0: Yeah, and it's nothing really to do with that particular label, it's another label actually that started the fight. Yeah, uh, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. And but we're all catching it. So, like they took my two albums off, which you, you know it sucks because it's harder for people to discover you and find you out. I mean, monetarily it doesn't matter because the streaming pays next to nothing, but um, but yeah, sorry, this is a weird aside in my no, play. it
1: makes sense though, because it's, it's about and I do the same thing with the merch for the show. Uh, when I first did the run, of, when I first originally did merch for the show, I like priced it accordingly. Like, you know, so I could make a little bit of money and then people could get their stuff and no big deal. But now the second run, I was like, actually, I'm going to price it to where I'm almost losing money because I just want people to like wear it to get the word out. So I, how many times in the street people see me wearing an Drinking Buddy shirt? And they go, what's that? And I'm like, oh, sweet. So yeah. it's the same kind of thing though with the with your albums it's like i it doesn't the money's not the thing right now it's I
0: want yeah. people to hear it so yeah and- exactly I mean in theory the label and the publishing people who are starting this fight have a good point and it would be nice to get paid for those extra royalties that would be nice yeah uh, in the same way that musicians are um, but yeah it's streaming in general is um, it's a it's definitely a um It's a mixed bag. It's very easy for people to discover you that way. But then also, you know, um, it doesn't pay what other sources do when it seems like it could at least pay a little bit more. It doesn't have to be quite that much of a fraction of a penny. You know, you could get closer to a penny per stream, you know. But anyway, so long story short, I have a third album. Good luck finding it. Um, It's called Midnight (laughs) (laughs) Nachos. and uh and also like this will all I'll be linked on my website. I've got a bunch of summer tour dates and fall tour okay. dates already. And so yeah, and my website is just madelonomartincomedy.com. There is a hyphen between every one of those words. I've a hyphen in my last name so I just ran with it. So that is m a t hyphen a l a n o hyphen m a r t i n hyphen comedy.com. Uh do I regret making it that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah i will we'll put all
1: this i'll have all this in the show notes i'll have the link okay. to the uh website so they can see your dates and then i'll also have a link to the album so that way you could yeah. just click on the show notes everybody there you don't it's have to go searching it.
0: just yeah, it'll we, be in there yeah. could have save so much time by just saying that
1: <laughs> no as, i want people to know where your site is and everything like that um yeah. so we met this is fun because you said i saw on social media you said you had an album coming out and i was like perfect come on the podcast we'll promote the album this will be awesome we originally met in jacksonville you were doing a, a run of shows down there
0: yeah I, I, it was at the record store show right
1: yeah eraser records shout yeah. out to
0: eraser records
1: matt anderson and his lovely fiance um and i remember we got to talking and stuff because on stage and you and i had talked about this before full disclosure to the listener we talked about this before we started recording but you do talk about um uh, sobriety, not drinking anymore, things like that on stage uh, from time to time. And I was like, oh, this is awesome because I had just recently at the time gotten sober and was doing comedy and I didn't know if I should talk about it on stage or I didn't know kind of where to go with it. So I thought it was really cool. So I had, I had always, so I followed you on everything. I had always had uh, an affinity to your stand-up just because in that moment it, it was like, oh, this is, you can do this. And then it was really cool because you also, dropped on us that you run started and run an entire festival in the midwest uh well
0: i don't talk about that in my set no but (laughs) we talked about that after yeah yeah uh well first of all that's very flattering man and that's like that's not i don't know maybe that is partial partially why i talk about my sobriety and my act is that one of the things that helped me get there was to hear other people's stories you know and particularly people in comedy who I could relate to. Um, you and that's know, what the show is. Yeah, and so uh, you know, and it's it's not a huge part of my act. I mean, I've I've gone and I've performed at recovery centers, and then I kind of lean a little bit more into it. But I still just do my regular act too, because I mean, they don't want to hear an hour of yeah, that's true recovery jokes because I don't have them for one thing. Um, But yeah, man, I'm, and I'm, I'm proud to talk about it on stage and it is always nice when someone comes up to me after this show at the merch table and then tells me, you know, they've got 13 years or, you know, they've got six months or whatever the story is, you know, and I've had people come up to me and talk to me about their, you know, they want to get sober and you know, all I can really do is encourage them. I'm not a trained professional or anything like that. But, you know, if I, obviously I've, I've stuck around and talked to someone after a show for about an hour and a half who was expressing um, that desire in their life. And I recognize that point because I was at that same point of knowing that I needed some help, you yeah. know. Um, and so, but it's also one of those things where I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a sponsor in a program. I'm not professionally trained. So I, I try to shy away from doing much other than just like listening and encouraging and sharing, you know, again, if sharing my story helps. And that's the biggest part of it, I think, you know.
1: Yeah. And that's perfect because uh, that's literally and I was messaging you this, but that was the kind of the genesis of the show. Is it originally the idea started over a decade ago of like, oh, I'm going to get hammered with buddies and like do a podcast. And then obviously slowly over time, it evolved. And then now it's become a show where we have people on who are sober. Obviously, I'm sober. Uh, and then we'll have people on who are California sober or who just like, you know, just don't drink or just don't do heroin anymore. Or like little it, it all varies because comedy actors, musicians, the people I have on are all pretty crazy. Uh, but it's just nice because then they'll the stories that they tell, it's very cool because then I'll get messages like, hey, man, just heard the last episode like that's totally happened to me. Like, I can totally relate to your guests like that's crazy or, hey, I'm going through a hard time and it's fun to listen to the show because I'm like, oh, maybe it's not so bad that I have to move out of town because you're talking about going to prison. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, see, it's all in perspective.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. When it's the same thing, it, like, you know, uh, I'm not I, I'm, I did not use uh, AA to get sober. I uh, my I had an estranged relationship with my father for most of my life and he got sober through the program. And I recognize, at least in the way that he did it, he just transferred his, um, addictive personality to the program and to, There just, it's not for everybody. I don't want to yeah. bag on a lot of people have done great in the program. Some of my, some of my closest friends have gone through that system, have remained sober and are great people, but the that's time, the one I, have, I went through. Yeah. Yeah. And I've gone and I've gone to meetings before, usually to support a new friend who's getting sober or celebrate an anniversary. But um, it isn't how I got sober. Uh, but I do respect the tradition. It works for a lot of people. Um, it just wasn't for me. But the same thing, you, whenever I do go to a meeting, you hear other people's stories like, whoo, I guess <laughs> I'm very lucky. That's I'm what lucky. that's
1: what yeah. took me so long to get sober was because I'd go. I started going to meetings at like 22 because I was like, I think I have a problem. Like, I can't not drink every yeah. day. And so I started going to, like, meetings here and there at 22. And it was funny, though, because I'd sit down and I'd hear some of these stories. And I'm like, oh, fuck that. Like, these guys are off the rails. Like, I'm fine. And then, it oh. con- <laughs> but it would, and it would continue to happen. Like, then yeah. at 25, I'd go to meetings and I'd be like, man, these guys are crazy. And even then, by, by, like, 25, 26, I went to rehab. And I was in rehab, like, oh, I overreacted. Like, all these people are psyched. Like, and they just kept that. And then finally, when enough yeah. bad shit happened, I was like, oh, I'm
0: that guy now that's telling a story and then everyone else is looking at me like, oh, we're not that bad. Well, I mean, it is interesting. that's. I mean, yeah, that's definitely one way you can interpret it is you can use it as a justification of, oh, well, I never murdered anybody, you know, or anything like that. Um, But that's also the, that's, you know, like anyone who's gotten sober and, you know, and I backslid twice, this is my third go at it. And it's the longest by far, you know, I've got eight and a half years. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel pretty good about everything, you know, but I actually, I'm almost thankful because if I had not backslid before, I wouldn't be as uh, aware of that danger. Right um but uh yeah like it's definitely (laughs) there's also the thing like going to a meeting you're like it's not a contest (laughs) yeah oh (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know we're all there for the same reason you don't have to try to top each other one uppers there's so many one
1: uppers everywhere
0: yeah and so um but yeah i it's i there is value in it and i find that i have more comfort of going to a meeting now than when i started because i did try it you know but um I think it was just too much unresolved things with my father. And then also like here in the Midwest, particularly um, a lot of meetings are super churchy. They don't say it, but there's a lot of subtext that you have to really, really, really interpret that first step as a Judeo-Christian God is how they kind of want you to do it. And, you know, and, and meetings are just like therapists. It takes a while to find the right one. Yeah, that absolutely. The vibe is right. And so um, that was always a bristle to me um, that kind of made me want to step away from it um, because it just felt it just felt churchy. You well, know? And it makes
1: sense, too, because there are times where I've because I've gone to meetings all over the country, obviously, now living in New York and being from Florida and when I would travel and stuff. And it makes total sense because there are times where I'll be at a meeting and I know what's up. Like I know what's going on. I've been in and out of the program now for almost a decade and I've backslid quite a few times. I've fallen off a few times and uh, but I'll be at a meeting and I know what's happening and like, I know the layout and stuff, but then like there'll be two or three newcomers there, like second meeting, first meeting, still drunk, like shaking, like, yeah. and then people like old timers will share and it's all like heavy handed, like read the Bible, go to church. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is yeah. how you get people to never come
0: back. Like what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, yeah. And you know, people are fallible and, 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 and people are sharing their story and what works for them. I, I think also the thing is, yeah, people just need to recognize what works for them isn't necessarily going to work for everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what worked for me was to basically have a sobriety sponsor an unofficial unpaid sobriety sponsor um was a friend of mine who had gone through the program and was very pro program she bought me the book she was very into me going but i they also worked in the comedy industry not as a comic but they worked for a management firm and so they've been they were around comics all the time so they understood the various triggers um, and they knew a lot of Sober Comics, too, so they knew the various triggers and everything, so I just kind of used them. I always say it's like um, I didn't get a membership to Sam's Club. I just borrowed my friend's card whenever I needed <laughs> it. You know? and That's so, a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, but they were great, and they were really there for me, and it would be the sort of thing where it became a running joke if I called them, and they were on the West Coast, so it wasn't quite as obnoxious time-wise, but if I called them after, like, 9 or 10 p.m. East Coast time, which is where I live, they started answering the phone going, so what comedy festival are you at? <laughs> <laughs> That's because awesome. my imposter syndrome would kick in. Yeah. And I would just start to freak out. And I would feel all those triggers of like, oh, you should just, you know, like uncomfortableness leading to wanting to drink and everything like that. So I spent, a, I spent about a year doing a lot of comedy festivals and hiding in my car. <laughs> oh, really? Like that was my safe space. So I would just kind of like, oh, this is, you know, and uh, they understood that they understood because they were around comics all the time and they understand uh, how fragile we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's
1: it's so funny you bring that up. And then I want to talk about how you originally even got into comedy. Uh, but it is so interesting that you bring that up because at work, um, like in my actual day job like my managers will come at me sideways and they think they're just like kidding around. But sometimes I get like frustrated or like if something doesn't go my way, like I stop my feet and I'm, I'm kind of a baby and they go, you are so sensitive. And I'm like, yeah, we are sensitive creatures. And they're like, you sit on stage and like tell jokes about your dick. I'm like, first of all, that's not what I do. Second of all, most comics, artists, musicians, like people, creatives in general can be more sensitive than others. And it's, it's just weird because, like they don't understand that. But when I'm around other comics and stuff, they totally get it. Or even yeah. musicians, they totally get it. But when I'm around regular civilians, they're like, yeah, fuck you. You suck. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, that is not
0: how we handle this. No. And, you know, um, like uh, uh, so there's this I don't I, I really never know how to address him now at this point in our Uh, relationship, but um, there's a rapper named Brother Ali that I was a huge fan of that I've actually wound up becoming pretty good friends with over the last year and a half or so. And so I never just say like my friend, but anyway, but he has this great single that he released a couple of years ago.
1: You're so much Sensitive. better than me. Whenever I meet anyone and I kind of hit it off with them, especially if they're like more well known than I am, I'm like, oh, my best friend Bill Burr, like we, me and Bill Burr, best friends, best
0: friends. No, no, but Ali and I have become pretty good friends over the last year and a half or so, and uh, we like uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, he has a great single that he released a couple of years ago called "Sensitive," and that's kind of what it's about. And like, it's he takes this sample of Erica Badu. Oh, okay. And where And he works it in where he says, like, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Like he pulled this quote from her from an interview and built a song around it. Oh, that's and awesome. It's true. It's true. And also, I think, yeah, you need to let your um, co-workers and your managers know that you don't sit on stage and talk about your dick. Yeah. You stand on stage and talk about your dick. Sitting is pretentious. <laughs> you, <yeah. laughs> you don't come out there and sit down on the stool like some. I do not. Kid dick truth teller no you're standing you're working you're a comic you're doing the jokes about your dick
1: <laughs> that's great um so speaking of comedy how mm. did you uh get started so you run uh, tell the festival i don't even think we've brought up the i know we talked about you running a festival tell everybody what the festival is that you you started
0: yes yeah, so i'm the co-founder of the limestone comedy festival Limestone. We, we are gearing up for our 10th year next year will be our 10th year this would have been our 10th year but you know obviously the pandemic we pulled it like everybody else for safety reasons yeah um so 11 years doing it but the 10th festival will be next year 2023 uh we just had it actually about a month or so ago um it was early may um this year it's usually may or june depending um and yeah it's uh i co-founded it with uh jared thompson who's the co-owner of the uh comedy attic here in bloomington which is our home club And now we also have a co-director in Dwight Simmons. We brought him on a couple of years ago to help us as the festival grew. And also just, uh, he's an amazing dude. Dwight's one of my best friends in comedy. He's an amazing comedian. And uh, when we were looking for new perspectives and insight and also just frankly, some help as we grew this thing, um, we knew that he checked all the boxes, right? Like he's good at comedy. He has good sense. He's an adult. (laughs) We can trust him to do things, you know? Um, and so yeah, it's uh it's been a journey. It's been great. Um, it's been a shit ton of work um over the years. But yeah, um yeah, I don't know, it's next year'll be June 1st through the third, it'll be our 10th year. We're trying to ramp up and do some big stuff. Um, you know, we're one of the 10 biggest comedy festivals in the country when you look at the number of shows that we have, a number of attendees, number of comics the size of comics that we have. On that list, we're the only one that's not in a major market. Bloomington, where we live, is a pretty small town. It's a college town. It's a Big Ten college town. Indiana University is located there. Um, But it's really an extension of the comedy attic, essentially, is the way that we think about it and the reputation that they had built and the audience that they had built, because they regularly have people that drive in from two hours away um, to shows because they program and book different headliners than the yuck yucks or whatever in their. i don't know why i said an actual chain yuck yuck is actually a comedy chain in canada i don't mean to
1: disparage.
0: but like you know whatever like whatever you know comedy club in their town that it's still booking like you know road hacks from the 80s or whatever oh yeah
1: we we get a lot of that and we got a lot
0: of that in jacksonville yeah Uh, i i know that you saw me that's how we (laughs)
1: No, i meant like the the um the major club down there, sometimes you'll see who's on the lineup and you're like, what the hell? Like, this guy hasn't been popular since the 90s.
0: But I, You know, there's part of me that thinks and because I've gotten to know some club owners having done comedy now for 13 years and, and there's certain clubs I go back to every year and some of it is really like a loyalty that I respect. Yeah,
1: right? that's true.
0: And it's like, OK, and, and there's also there are older comics that are not famous that are still doing the work. They're still writing new hours. They're writing new jokes They're not just they're not getting up there and doing Bill Clinton jokes or whatever. Yeah. Um, although there are so, some of those guys. There too. are
1: some of those guys too. Yeah.
0: So, but um, yeah, so we started the festival, you know, and it's been it's been a good success. And uh, you know, we were able to survive a pandemic, thank God, because we'd always just we just have like a war chest um that we've anytime we've ever made money in the festival, we just kind of put it in in savings. Oh, okay. And so thank God, because <laughs> we really needed that for two years in a row. The year that we canceled, we lost a bunch of money, and then the 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 comeback year we were digging into that as well to make it work um but we've had you know headliners from maria bamford Pat oswalt uh roy wood jr love roy uh, michael Cherry um jenny Garofalo, um you know we we have some really really big ones and then we also like to always showcase upcoming headliners this year we just had uh caitlin palufo come back as a headliner which i know she was just on the podcast yeah i
1: guess to the front of the show caitlin palufo. yeah
0: um you know and so you know and we had irene too both of them had featured at the festival earlier on in their career and so anytime we can do that anytime that there's someone that we love that came into the festival and that we have a lot of respect and admiration for at the future level as they start to move up we'd like to bring them back as headliners we did that with janelle james too before she was a tv star you know okay yeah she actually featured the first two years of limestone um, when she was still living in southern illinois she was just a comic out of illinois who was great that really a lot of people didn't seem to really know her And um, she featured the first two years and then moved to New York and then blew up. And then we brought her back uh, again before she got Abbott elementary. But yeah, so that's something we like to do, too. We try to try to do that.
1: Well, that's awesome. So tell everybody listening how how you got into comedy. Were you always a fan of stand up or did you just like comedy or how did how did that happen?
0: Yeah. So I've always been a huge comedy nerd. I grew up in a very rural part of Indiana, about 45 minutes north of Louisville, just in the, literally in the middle of cornfields. Really? Uh, so
1: you're just in the middle of nowhere.
0: Middle of nowhere, uh, and uh, my parents had a couple of comedy albums, like the ones that everyone's had. You know, like I think they had like the button down mind of Bob Newhart. I think they had a Cosby album. Um, I think there was a Richard Pryor album in the mix that I was not supposed to listen to, but I would, <laughs> it, you know. Yeah. But. I got. I really got turned on to comedy by Saturday Night Live. Okay. Um, hearing, hearing my parents laugh and delivering the Saturday Night Live while we were supposed to be asleep was a big thing. And so I would sneak out. And I feel like a lot of people have this exact same story, but you would sneak out of your bedroom and kind of peek. Watch, peek, yep. and, watch. and then also Dr. Demento. Like the radio was everything to me. I was a huge music fan from early on. I love music. And, but this weird show would come on once a week you know we could kind of get the radio stations from Louisville and one of them would play Dr. Demento on Sundays and me and my friends became obsessed with it and we would record it on our tape decks or whatever and you know it's it's how you discover all of the very not they, every now and then they play stand up but it was like you know Weird Al Yankovic and here's the songs from Monty Python and here's yeah. the songs like Fish Heads and stuff by like other artists that are just doing bizarro stuff Frank Zappa you would hear Frank Zappa oh okay so that was the thing that sort of really made me love comedy in general mm-hmm. and then I started checking out comedy albums from the library um a lot of a lot of um Cosby stuff um I'm trying to think of some of the like some really old school like stuff you know that would like qualify as clean so the librarian would let a kid oh out.
1: yeah okay I see what you're saying
0: about like that um and so um I just always loved it but there was no avenue for it there was a comedy club in Louisville, but I didn't know that. They never advertised in a way that got to me as a kid. So I just followed my interest in music because there was band class and there was a guitar store next to the laundromat that we went to.
1: Okay. So I you, went, you went a different way.
0: Yeah. So I just did music uh, basically all through my 20s. I just played in bands and stuff like that. Isn't then, it
1: interesting how a creative will always find an outlet? It, yes. like it's 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 weird to me because it's like, you know, I've been doing comedy since '09. you You've been doing it, like you said, for 13 years. And it's crazy because it's like before that, you're like, well, I'm going to do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do something. And then you just find music. So how how what were you what did you play did you were you a part of different bands and stuff or how did the music go
0: yeah so yeah i was always I, I always played always played in bands and it was always like just really small like local to regional at most stuff and i grew up playing bass because yeah bought guitars and so yeah slap it to bass <laughs> to, the, to the listeners he is he is doing uh all red meme like you may have seen the gif
1: he's it's not the best
0: man <laughs> uh but that's why that's why i got a basis who my friends got guitars and was like okay we need something else yeah, need- <laughs> in this mix. and i wound up never You're the responsible one hey guys we can't all play acts yeah exactly and so um yeah and so i played that and then i wound up playing drums and guitar over the years too as i got older um but yeah i just played in bands forever and um i always still loved stand-up when i went to college it was the first time i read cable and that was when Comedy Central actually showed stand-up clips all day long. They did not show oh, sitcoms. Okay. They did not. It was just nothing but stand-up all day yeah. long. And so I was obsessed. You know, we would watch MTV and VH1 back then was also really cool, strangely enough. Like they would show actual music videos of stuff that wasn't as hard as MTV. But I remember like that's how I discovered Tori Amos was on VH1. Oh, okay. I'm for, for, like, oh, this person's really interesting, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there was three channels that we watched in my dorm, uh, yeah. was MTV, VH1 and Comedy Central. And I loved it. And I became obsessed with stand up, like just as a fan. Where did because you go to college? I went to college in Evansville, Indiana. Okay. It's called USI University of Southern Indiana, which is like a very affordable university, which is why I went. Uh, is that the,
1: um, what's the mascot there?
0: The Screaming Eagles. Oh, okay. They were division two. I I guess they just went to division one or something. Everyone's
1: moving around now. Yeah. Yeah. They
0: were division two and they were division two champs at one time long after I left. But there you go. Screaming um, Eagles. Yeah. Screaming Eagles. There you go. Uh, But yeah. So I my fandom kicked into like high gear because I was seeing all this stuff, you know. Yeah. And this is the era of Mitch Hedberg. I remember Laura Kightlinger, like not only being hilarious when I would see these clips of her on there, but also having the massive crush on her. I thought Walmart was just the coolest and very uh, attractive, um, but yeah, just I just absorbed it like a sponge, and it still never occurred to me to try it because I was so dedicated to playing in dance. I okay. college was an afterthought. It was like I did well enough to get by, you know, and everything, but to me, it was all about playing in bands and 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 pursuing music until I moved to Bloomington. Um, with my first wife, got into grad school here, so we moved to Bloomington in '99. And same thing. I'm just doing music and everything. And then um, the comedy attic opens. It opens as the funny bone first um, for a year. It was a part of that franchise or that chain or whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. But then they uh, changed the name. They went into independent, changed the name to comedy attic. And I went to a show there once and I was like, oh, this is the thing. I saw the finals of their first annual contest. Yeah first show that i ever went there and there were three dudes on stage uh local guys and they were all funny but they were not unattainably funny like i see that's that's
1: the difference is when you look at somebody and you go
0: i mean i think i could do that exactly yeah i'd never been to an open mic before i'd always gone to professional shows like i you know in evansville there was there was a funny bone that i would go to occasionally um but when i saw three guys that were pretty funny but not like I never listened to a Carlin record and thought I could do that. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I then like obsessed about what my first set would be for months. It was months later and before I did it. Uh, and then I went and did the open mic and then it was pretty. I was also at a point with music where I was super burnt out. You talk about how creatives will always find something, some sort of outlet. Yeah. I was very burnt out on music. I had been doing it at that point for realistically 20 years you know and various bands various projects releasing albums independently all that stuff playing tons of shows everywhere and just I was so burnt out and literally I was playing a show at a bar in Bloomington and in the middle of my set I'm just thinking I hate this everyone else hates this why am I here I don't want to be doing this I'm thinking this as I'm singing a song like I'm yeah and I went home and I put my guitar down and I didn't touch my guitar for a couple of years after that but literally like the next week I went and did the open mic oh okay Percolating in the back of my head but uh yeah and so it's it's in when comedy went away during the pandemic I started a new recording project with a couple of friends so there was that thing like I didn't have that outlet of comedy and so I started writing songs again and had friends that live in different cities and because of the magic of the internet we just drop box files to each other and we made a couple of records that way it's that's awesome called, yeah it's a political punk band called belta lauda and
1: wait what is it we gotta we gotta put it in the show notes what's it called? Yeah, put it in the show
0: notes belta lauda it's b-e-l-t-a-l-o-w-d-a it's a reference to the expanse um my favorite sci-fi series of all time um but it's just like angry socialist political punk uh there you so go. it's also a great outlet to have over the last couple of years
1: <laughs> yeah especially with everything going on
0: yeah, it's for all the things that I can't joke around about. I mean, I, I write jokes about some some things, you know, abortion rights and things like that to kind of get my viewpoint out there. But there's some some things I, I just can't make funny, like, you know, the police murdering Black people and things like that. So yeah. that's what that band is for, is for me to express um, those thoughts and emotions in a way that um, are probably not going to fly in a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh also, man. To be very clear, I'm against the police murdering Black people in the streets I, yes, I, I just said what it was about I didn't say Which side of the issue I was on against... Yeah and
1: you don't want people
0: <laughs> Clip that out of context um,
1: <laughs> So when you So you said you started doing that um, When did you like kind of Realize like oh this is something That I can do
0: Oh it's for the comedy thing It yeah. was a couple of months in um, I remember talking to my mom one time and telling her, I was like, I think I can do this. And she was very concerned. <laughs> she yeah. was like, oh, and I was like, no, 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 I don't think I can be famous, uh, which I called it. It was very prophetic. Um, <laughs> but I said, I think I can do this as a job. I had discovered there were these guys that were, you know, unfamous blue collar working comics, which is continuing to shrink and disappear. But at the time, 13 years ago, there were these guys that were able to pay the bills and build their life around it. And they would be on the road. And I was already used to living on the road because when I was in bands, we did that. And then after all my bands broke up and I didn't really have anything going on, I tour managed actually more successful bands as a job for seven years. I'd already spent most of my adult life on the road. Yeah. You were always traveling anyway. Yeah. So that was not scary to me or weird. But when I started to realize like, oh, these guys can make couple hundred dollars a night going around doing this. And I was like, I think I can do that. It's the same thing. Like watching the, the open mic thing. When I saw how good these guys were, I was like, I think I can get to there. That seems doable. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, and so once I explained it in those contexts to my mom, she was a little bit more like, okay, you have a plan. You're not like, I'm going to be a star. (laughs) Well, and it's,
1: it's so bananas because, like you mentioned and like i've had guests on this show and then uh, people we know obviously uh, you can make a significant not substantial you're not gonna you know break the bank you're not gonna you know be living in a mansion or on park avenue but you can make a living just doing bar shows and triple runs and riding running from town to town just driving and like we know plenty of people who do that and there are some of those people where i'll reach out and i'll be like hey man like you're you know, you should come up to New York, try it out. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Like, I like my life. And, you know, and that's to me, I was like, no, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to be a star. But I know plenty of people where they're like, no, I I live close to my family. I have I'm very important in the community I'm in. Like, I'm reputable in the comedy community I'm in. Like, why would I go somewhere where I have to start doing fucking open mics again? Like, have you lost your mind? Like I make them enough money to pay my bills where where I'm at. And it's crazy because, I mean, less so now because of the internet, but like you said, 13 years ago, that was the majority of comedians.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, there was quite a bit of a working class function. And what's really changed, I think, in the 13 years that I've done it is it is harder and harder to get booked at clubs if you're not famous. And this has always existed in some clubs to some context, right? But just more and more, it seemed like even like at the feature level, it's harder to get feature spots at clubs now. And I shouldn't complain because I still do OK. I still, you know, like I just headlined a club last weekend uh, because they had a fallout and they knew that they could trust me. I had headlined at their smaller location years ago, and I had then started featuring. At, and I'll just say it's the Blue Room Comedy Club in Springfield, Missouri. Like they, out Blue Room yeah and it's it's a great club but they've really come up they've gotten they're in a new location now it's way bigger room way fans here right and so i was there last year featuring for rachel feinstein and i understood when they moved into that new location i was like oh i'm not headlining there anymore <laughs> like this is twice the size and like you just also start to see their their calendar the way that they're the headliners are bringing in is like i'm yeah. not in that class right? you're
1: headlining for big guy
0: i love yeah that. exactly so and so is that uh, big guy <laughs> But uh, you know, but then that opportunity arose where they're like, "We need somebody. Can you come do it?" And yeah. like, yes, of course. And you know, and the thing is, I've been doing it long enough, and I do headline other places. I can do the job. Everything went great. We had good shows. Everybody was happy. <laughs> Nobody was just like, "What is this?" You know. Um, but there, it's even getting those feature spots in like a bigger club, like a bigger chain or something. It just seems like it's more and more complicated because there is people are bringing their own a lot, and also. Comedy scenes everywhere have gotten pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's true. Everybody
0: has a bench of comics that can go feature. And so trying to be the outside comic coming in, wedging in there to get a feature spot has become more and more difficult. It used to be not that many comics could do the job reliably 10 years ago. Yeah, But now almost every city that has a major comedy club has a pretty decent bench of comics that can do it. So it is, you have to rethink it, uh, like the, how to make the money aspect of it work. And, you know, I'm very lucky. My wife has a good job and she provides the majority of our income, but I also, you know, I mean, I, I, I would still be able to do this. If I were not married to her, I would still be able to do yeah. it. Me and I would just probably have a roommate or whatever, you know, like there would be things I would have to do differently, but, um, yeah, man. It's, it's, it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's in the game, but I always tell younger comics to move to New York or LA or Chicago because when you're young, jump in, try it. If it doesn't work, you get to come back and it doesn't matter. Yeah. You get older and you're married when your family members start to get older and sicker and you have to be around for them. There's a lot of things that'll make it harder to, to hang in there. Absolutely. So it is, it is getting a little bit more complicated to be that unfamous blue collar, uh, comedian not blue collar comedy style but just a working class yeah comedian. um it's getting a little trickier but you know then there's bar shows and there's more independent shows and all that kind of stuff too so
1: well and i've noticed it too just here in new york so i came up from florida and i was like oh you know i'm an important part of the jacksonville comedy scene like i can perform as much as i want to you know uh, i was starting to headline around certain areas and i was like oh this is awesome and then i got to new york and it's like oh how many followers do you have like the major clubs are like what's your what's your tiktok what's your instagram looking like what's your youtube subscribers and i was like i'm funny and they were like oh no no no, no we don't care about that but to new york's credit there are some clubs where it doesn't fucking matter you could be off the street if you're funny they'll pass you but there are a couple clubs and some of which i frequent where it's like oh yeah like it's gonna be a lot harder of a road because you have less than a thousand followers like it's now if you show up with a hundred thousand they're like hey come on in you're past yeah so it's just it's
0: it has become more difficult with the internet not difficult just different just a different model and 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 i understand i understand that you know it's trying to see their viewpoint of it or whatever because they're in the business of selling drinks and 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 you know putting butts in seats and that's what they have to worry about and that's why like. I, I have nothing but love and respect for my friends who have figured out social media and have gotten ahead that way. I ha- not-
1: I know some people like that. And it's like yeah. good, good on you, man. Like I don't yeah. I don't have the patience
0: for it. I don't well, it's I mean, again, it's the amount of work ethic in it, you know, is is amazing. Um, but then you know, particularly when it if they can do both, you know, because there are some that have figured out TikTok and get a bunch of TikTok followers. And then you go see them, you know, do comedy bomb. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. It's not good. It's like the modern day version of screech or whatever we want to say, right? Like this, this thing where people are coming, it's the focus of that is definitely that way right now. I don't know if it will stay that way. No, Um, it's, it's
1: sick. Like a little swing back Yeah,
0: for some rooms. It's definitely going to stay that way. But um, yeah, but also that's where independent shows, I think fill the gap a little bit and it's just, it's tricky, man. It is. it is. But yeah, just like getting, uh, I don't even want to say famous, but getting big enough to have a draw and to sell tickets solely from doing stand-up comedy is not something that really happens that much anymore. You know, yeah. the people who have managed to do it <laughs> are all older examples. When you think about Kathleen Madigan, Kathleen Madigan never had a sitcom she never was a viral internet star. You know. Yeah. Canaan, same thing, you know? Um, and so there there's, yeah, it's, it's a different road now. You're right. We should probably quit. Good. good ah,
1: <laughs> no, but well, and it's, it's fun because the podcasting has opened up another Avenue. Cause you mentioned work ethic earlier when it comes to social media. And that's the weird thing about it is you and I, and most comics that I talk to most artists that I talk to have a crazy work ethic. If it's, if, if they're truly if it's truly what they love to do, because, you know, the old adage, it's not work then. So, like, I will literally wake up, I'll do this podcast, I'll hit three or four open mics today, I'll go to the gym and then I'll make sure to go to a, one of the major clubs tonight to, like, hang out and, like, talk with other comics and stuff. And that's more that's more technical work than I would ever do on a day where I just went into my restaurant and served for four hours and went home. Like, that's yeah. a lot more. But to me, it's like, oh, no, that's just what's required. Which is interesting because when it comes to social media, it's like, oh, you need to post every day. You need to post at this time. And to me, I'm just like, well, no, I don't like that. Fuck that. But yeah. when it comes to comedy, it's like, oh, this isn't work. like I'll do this all day long. But when it comes to other stuff, I'm like, no, I'm not doing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, because it's and I think that's fine. I, I mean, I want to say it's probably not great for your career. <laughs> you are putting in the work in other ways. And that's what's important. You yeah, know, that's what the podcast I- is for. Yeah, exactly, and it's Yeah, if you want, if you love doing this podcast and you love talking to people about comedy and sobriety, and then yeah, then it doesn't matter if you don't have a, a lot of viewers or listeners. I uh, I keep saying viewers because we're on Zoom right now, so it's <laughs> me. But um, you know, I have a podcast that I just started this year that has almost <laughs> no listeners. It's crazy how few listeners it has, but I love it. It's this music podcast called Take These Songs, and it's like the cons- the concept of it, the construct of it, is something I'm very proud of, and. I'm okay. I thought it would maybe catch a little bit and go and it's not. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I still think this is interesting. I still think it's fun. And it's the same thing with like, where you focus, you know, your energy in the comedy business part of it. Like, this is my third hour that's coming out in 13 years. And that's what keeps me going is I like writing and perfecting jokes and structuring an hour and getting it down and performing the shit out of it, you know, and really getting it and then starting over, like the starting over, I'm in the most exciting part now, because I have to start over. I have to start thinking like, okay, what do I think is funny now? What do I want to talk about? And not that every single joke is a big issue driven joke or a big story of my life joke. But you know, this is the time where I can really have a fresh canvas and start thinking, okay, like, what are, are there things I want to talk about? Like I'm, my mother passed away this past year and I'm I know that I want to talk about that. Thank you. And like, I have been starting to talk about it a little bit on stage, which again is a tricky thing to talk about in the comedy set, but I've, you know, and so now I'm thinking like, how much of this do I want to get into, you know, and things like that. And that that's what keeps me going. You know, it's definitely not, it's not the followers on social media because they're not there. And honestly, <laughs> I feel free because of that to a certain extent. You know, it's like people talk about burning jokes. Like a lot of people post on social media, your girlfriend is handing you an envelope. Um, All right, just for the listeners, what's happening? Okay, we've got a little, okay, that was a very important envelope. And then the winner is, (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, you can edit all that shit out. Okay, so, um, but the thing with social media, like a lot of comics are posting them doing crowd work. Yeah. posting jokes. Well, I post jokes because like, like I do crowd work occasionally. It's not the thing that I do all the time and I'm okay at it, but I don't feel like it's so amazingly original and, you know, super hilarious that it needs to be shared. I'll post jokes because I'm not burning material (laughs) in any given city I go to. Maybe a couple of people in that audience bothered to look me up. Yeah. you know, and so oh, they so heard one joke, and also like I'm posting older jokes off the old hours that you know every now and then I post a new thing that's still in. But to me, I'd rather have that represented, you know, on my oh. talk or whatever. Is like, well, here's a joke that I actually wrote, not just me asking someone in the audience what they do for a living. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: what I was gonna say. Yeah,
0: that that's that's what most people do because they're afraid of quote unquote burning material. But also, like, you're not writing enough material that you can't occasionally post a, an actual joke.
1: Yeah. If you're not writing enough to where you can burn some material from time to time, then what's, what are we really doing?
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll put stuff up there that I know is not going to be on the next hour. It's like, you know, you write these jokes that are like, Oh, this is a fun little joke. Yeah. But it's not something I'm going to keep. Well, writing. and
1: I'll do it even too. Cause I'm not a topical comedian. Like I tell I'm a storyteller. So but sometimes if something happens in the news so much so where I'm like, ah, I got to fucking mention this, then I'll yeah. record that. And then I'll just throw that up. I'll do it in a couple of open mics or something. And then I'll do it at a bar show and that's where I'll record it. And I'll throw that up Cause it's like, well, this is, this is dead next week anyway. Like I'm not doing this anymore anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. To me, that's way more interesting and more valid. And I'm not trying to, and I, know, I understand there are trends. And I also understand that the crowd work shit gets a lot of views in the same way. Like, comedian owns heckler or whatever. I don't understand that something, but that's not that's not what I want. In the same way that I have never bothered to develop a character that I do on social media. Yeah. Um, I have friends that have done that and have been very successful and they are great at it and they write really good jokes in that character, right? They write really solid, really well-written jokes on that character. It's not just like I put on some goofy teeth and I'm acting like an idiot or whatever you know there's um, actually substance behind it there's as far substance. as yeah. They've actually written jokes and it's good and everything but i have zero interest in doing that and so yeah it's so that's just where i am with it and like yeah it's nice to hear somebody else yeah <laughs>
1: like, absolutely because when
0: you when you scroll through the feed you're like fuck everybody's just doing this one thing
1: nope not everyone yeah. not all of us yeah i wanted to talk to you about um so like you mentioned you have been sober for eight and a half years uh mm-hmm. can you uh you did send me a list of a couple of stories. I kind of wanted to ask you, because this is something that does interest me as someone who's actually maintained sobriety now for a elongated period of time. Do you remember the last time you drank? Like, do you remember your last drunk, oh, yeah. as it
0: were? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. do
1: you, would you <laughs> yes. mind telling that story or?
0: Oh, I love to tell this story because okay. it allows me also to shit all over uh, the worst comedy festival that I ever attended. OK, all here right. we go um so uh the last time that i ever drank i was uh in the cleveland comedy festival um now there's several comedy festivals that take place in cleveland okay, okay. so this was not accidental this was not um I, there's a couple other that now pop up and have been there or whatever this is branded as the cleveland comedy festival um I was there with three of my comedy buddies. Um, We were all sharing a hotel. It should have been a great time. Should have been super fun time. Should have been Uh, fun. Should have been the best time. Uh, Some pretext, my drinking that year had really gotten out of control. It was really very dark. Um, It was very it was just like, it was just a bad year. That was like, this was like the climax of a very bad year of my drinking and uh, just really self-destructive tendencies. Yeah. So I (laughs) had the Cleveland comedy festival and this festival is so horrible (laughs) that I'm drinking worse than I normally do, which was already pretty bad. What's horrible about it? Is it just the, um, just the fact that like uh the couple of things that that were really the worst about it were um i'm trying to think how to so they had a contest element right yeah the contest shows were packed every other show nobody there okay so one of the other shows was on the outskirts of cleveland and like one of the suburbs yeah um and I've been day drinking, of course, of course, one of the other comics in my room had also been day drinking. So we take the city bus. OK, so it takes us a good hour to get out there on the city bus to the suburb subdivision. Right. We get to this bar, which is supposed to be one of the you know, venues for it. Um, nobody in this bar has any idea there's supposed to be a comedy show. It's a super loud, crazy bar. They have like a side room that become. So one of the volunteers is there and there. So wait,
1: so there is a representative from the comedy festival there
0: kid. yeah and so mm-hmm. he's trying to talk to them, and like no you're supposed to and so i just started drinking even more right <laughs> and so i just see how shitty everything is they they that they, they they're they're gonna do the show right but it's gonna be like trying to do comedy over a crazy loud bar right yeah and, and so i get too drunk to uh to perform basically yeah i text one of the other uh comics that was in our room who isn't a big drinker and i knew he had his car with him and i was like if you come get us so we don't have to take the bus back i will give you my set you can do my set so he comes and of course the volunteer doesn't give a fuck when he's like hey you're going to be up next i was like actually this guy's going to do it (laughs) so we he drives us back to the hotel and uh, that's I, the best line ever. Actually, this guy's gonna do it. Yeah, he's gonna do it. You know, he's gonna. I gave my set to him, and so I, you know, and I pass out drunk on the floor of the hotel, and I wake up the next day, and that was really like I was, and I'd already tried to quit drinking twice, and and was successful for a few, for a few months or whatever, and that was the difference. of Those other two times I had tried to quit drinking, this time I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm done. Yeah, like it was just because I was like, why am I out here doing comedy? If I'm giving away sets or whatever, like, cause now if i gone to that same festival, now I have the attitude of like, I'm going to make this fun. Like that's how I approach every bad show is like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to bring my shit and I'm going to do make it as best as I can be for this one person who gives cares. And even if that one person is just me, right? Yeah.
1: Well, and that's the thing is you have to, there's so many times, I mean, how many bad I, I did this yesterday. I was at a mic and it was me, the host and like one other, one or two other people and Because in New York, so many people will sign up for mics and then they leave like they go do other mics. So I go into this mic and I signed up and then I came back a little bit later. And then when I went to sit down, it was literally like three or four people in there and everyone. It was a rotation like two, once someone would go, they'd leave and then someone else would come in. It's just how it worked out. And everyone who was younger who would get on stage was like, oh, my God, this is a joke. Like, mic check. Is anybody in here? (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I've done shows at Oklahoma city bars with the thunder game on in the background. They refuse to even turn down. Like, yeah. you think this is hard? Like yeah. this is easy. Like, it's just about making it fun. Like who gives yeah. a shit? And they're, yeah. and they
0: were just like drowning, like struggling. And I'm like, dude,
1: this is nothing.
0: <laughs> well, it's the thing too, of like where a younger, an, an, either a younger unexperienced comic or an older bitter comic will punish the people who actually are in the room yeah that's true the audience because it's not packed or whatever um the next day when I got up and I kind of was having those very strong emotional feelings and everything I was supposed to be part of a matinee show this is on a Wednesday or something like that uh, this is a week-long festival and so um maybe it's a Thursday and so I go to the matinee show and it's me and all the other comics sitting around yeah. nobody comes because why would they it's thursday it's 3 p.m there's not a fucking single famous or known comic on this show oh, We're at the basement of the venue and so the one of the co-directors of this festival is there and he's just like yeah i don't know guys like do you guys you guys just want to run run your sets for each other is and i and i was like no i don't and i was like I was like, because I had set up an, a show that night in a nearby city to make money to pay for this whole thing. I was closing at a bar show like yeah. uh, two hours away in Toledo, maybe maybe less than two hours. And so I drove to my Toledo gig, had a great time, didn't drink because I was still feeling like garbage anyway from like the, my fucking excessive drinking the day before. Yeah. Just drank soda. Fantastic show. Keith Bergman show. Absolutely Fantastic. And then I get in my car and I'm supposed to drive back to Cleveland. And I was like, I'm going home. <laughs> and so I drive to Indiana and I show up at my house at like one o'clock in the morning. My wife is like, what are you doing? I thought you were coming back till Sunday. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going back. Did
1: you tell your buddies that you were staying at the hotel with?
0: I did. I messaged them. And then I also messaged the... Uh, the directors of this festival and i had advanced in the contest i was supposed to be in the next round of the contest like on friday night or something like that yeah and so i just messaged like yeah i went home i'm not coming back please give my spot to whoever the first alternate was and i gave no explanation i was just like i'm not coming back but it's like just their how bad it was and then also the program was a met you like you the program made no sense like this should be the easiest thing like oh you have information in here you like it was so hard to find out where anybody was where any shows were it was just like everything about it and when i found out that they'd been doing their festival for like five or six years at that point i was livid i was fucking livid i was just like this is a train wreck how is this your fifth or sixth year and i had just started limestone yeah that's what i was gonna ask i was like this is not hard as like literally all you have to do is give a shit just fucking give a shit and so, and that's what I've always been my advice to anybody who says they want to start a festival is just give a shit, yeah. just actually care about the shows.
1: Now at this festival, what, were there certain shows that were packed or like?
0: Just they, the contest shows. I was going to say it
1: had to be shows. something because they kept doing it every year.
0: Only the contest shows. And then they would bring in, um, like they had like, I want to say they had some headliner that I thought was actually legitimately good. They had like a bigger theater space. Again, that was its own separate thing. And then uh I want to say the like so one of the nights it was a headliner that was actually good, and then a headliner that was like a magical hypnotist ventriloquist. Oh, okay. God, whatever. And I don't want to, you know, that's its own thing, but not from it. You're you're clearly shooting for something very specific. Yeah. If you're doing that, if you're doing like the hypnotist act or ventriloquist act, you know. And so, and if I recall correctly, this is another thing that they did that infuriated me was. They would charge If you were in the festival, they were charging you to go to the theater shows. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Which anytime a festival does that, it's just like, oh, you don't care at all about us. You don't. Yeah. It's like, not
1: about the festival. It's about you, you trying to out. make. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this is an enormous theater that you're not going to sell out with these acts either way anyway. So, yeah. So uh thanks to the Cleveland Comedy Festival, I got sober. So there you go.
1: Boom. Um, That is intense because <laughs> it actually comes full circle it's all about comedy and then festivals and then um i wanted you did send me a list which i really do appreciate there's some there's a couple stories on here i wanted to talk about uh this sketch show that your sister's sister put on uh Mm -hmm. apparently you got a little you got a little rowdy during that when when was that was that significantly Um, before you got sober or when
0: oh yeah yeah a long time before so um as i said before i was married before Mm -hmm. and i was going through a divorce And my, my sister, Kelly is not, not my biological sister. Um, She's my non-biological sister. And she moved into the house with me basically and kept me alive. Um, So thank God she was there because there literally were two times that I almost died of alcohol poisoning. And she was there to uh, prevent me from uh, dying. Um, So Kelly's been there. (laughs) You've been there. I know. My last, my last
1: drunk, I I shared it. It's like episode two of this podcast, but. My last drunk, I on my thirtieth birthday, I had gotten so disappointed with my life had become. I drank so much alcohol. Luckily, I had a friend find me, rushed me to the ER, and the doctor was like, "Yeah, you should have been dead a while ago, dude. Like this yeah. isn't this is this isn't normal."
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite is like throwing up black liquid.
1: Yeah, people don't yeah. understand that. They go, "Oh, you mean bile?" I go, "It's not bile."
0: No, it's, it's blood and something else from inside your, and your it, burns, it, it burns, it burns as it comes but out. Like it swells black. your throat. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's like black, tar. But, it's tar. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Um, so anyway, so Kelly, yeah. has, Kelly has a younger biological sister who was attending IU. Okay. And, um, and, and her, and her younger sister, Casey kind of, kind of like, I, she's like my half sister, I guess, you know, I, I was, I'm in her life. To a certain extent, particularly when she was in IU, like I was like a big brother to a certain extent when she needed me to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I, I don't want to I don't want to minimize my relationship with Casey by saying that she's not my sister, but it's not the same situation. Yeah, as I said in the message to you, it's all very complicated, and yes. we have time for that. Anyway, so this this is before really I was uh, I was on a self destructive streak. Obviously, I'm going through this divorce, and I'm drinking a lot, and. Kelly, for all of you know, her clutch times of being there to save my life, she also sometimes was like, oh, yeah, let's drink. Let's have fun. <laughs> let's have a you good know, time. Because she also thought that I think, you know, I need I needed cheering up or whatever. And she was kind of going, so Kelly and I are drinking. And of course, I drink way more than Kelly does. And then she's like, do you want to go see Casey's sketch show? And yeah. she was part of a sketch group at the university, which means we have to go onto campus fucking shit i am so drunk that it it's in there's this giant building in the center of iu called the union right and it's like has a hotel on one end it has all these different things in it whatever and that's where they're performing but it's a big long cavernous building you have to go through to to get to anywhere really so as we're going through the union and it's the student union so there's students in there eating fucking pizza and hanging out and playing ping pong and all that shit as we're going through it I am so wasted. And we have to take a couple of series of escalators to get to the floor. Oh, the no! And I just like grab like some random dude in front of me, some random frat dude in front of me is on, in front of me the escalator. And I just like wrap my arms around him and then just go dead with my weight. Oh
1: no. So
0: the escalator is moving us both up, but I'm just like going dead weight on this dude's waist essentially. Cause he's a couple of steps above me on the escalator. And he was just like, what are you doing? He was just I so would panic. Crazy. I don't like heights. I don't like escalators. I would have been like, get the fuck off me. Um, so that was the first sign that Kelly probably should have uh, taken me home. But yeah, <laughs> I don't to her. But she didn't really recognize, she just thought it was and she was also a little tipsy too. She, was, she thought it was funny. She thought we were just like, "Ah, oh, we're these older people and this fuck these college kids or whatever. Yeah. So we go, we go to the where Casey's sketch show is it's packed. Um and by this point, Kelly re- realizes how fucked up I am. So she's like, we cannot like be in the chairs with all the other human beings. Yeah. We have to be in the back of this room, right? Like separate away from the population. So there's like folding, chair- folding tables up against the back of the wall. And so she like, I'm sitting on one, right? And I immediately pass out. I pass out drunk and slump over on this folding table. Uh-huh. And apparently, I'm snoring fairly loudly. This oh all, no! This is all during the sketch show, and so um, I wake up when, um, like, either under my own weight or I try, I'm moving around while I'm d- sleeping, and like the the one of the the legs give out from underneath the table, so I collapse this table as I'm on it. It's just like in the middle of a sketch. Of course. Just just Boom and and like and, you know and I'm just like oh, what what and the college is like all right we gotta go or whatever and there's it takes two other people from the audience two young college dudes to get me up and get me on my feet oh my and god get me out of there <laughs> and uh, so of course Casey not super happy with me uh, she kind of thought it was funny really she was yeah like, it's a
1: sketch show we're
0: doing we're doing a bit like oh chaos weirdness right or whatever um, but the most the crazy thing of this is, is like a year later, I, and I know this is going to make me sound very scumbaggy to all of the female listeners. A year later, I wind up dating a girl who is quite a bit younger than me. And I find out that she is in that sketch group with Oh Casey wow! after we're dating. And I tell her that story. She was there that night doing a sketch when I broke the fucking table. And she was just like, that was you? She's oh, like, I never hilarious. would have started dating you. If I,
1: <laughs> if I would have known you were that guy.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah. So that's the fun little tale of that story. Uh yeah. That's
1: fun. I wanted to ask you, we got time for one more. Uh this this really piqued my interest. What's a camo clause?
0: Huh. Okay, so um, Camo claws was a thing that me and some other friends would do. Um, I grew up oh, in stop. punk rock and going to house shows and stuff like that. Okay, And there's a very strong house show scene here in Bloomington when I moved here. And we were, I, I moved here, uh, I was already a little bit older. I was in my late 20s because I'd gone to college in Evansville and worked for a little bit there before I moved here with my first wife when she got into grad school. So I was already a little bit older than most of like the house show type kids. But I still like punk rock and I still like underground indie music and stuff like that. And so one Christmas <laughs> type show, there was this malt liquor at the time called Camo. And it was like came in 40s and it was camouflage. And it was, it was malt liquor, it was disgusting. It was standard malt liquor 40s. And so I thought it would be hilarious if I was camo Claus when I went to the show. And so I bought, I want to say, like, I think I probably got 40 40s. And I got a couple of friends to go with me and like, we didn't put them in a sack, but we just basically wore like, like satchels and shit that we could just have all these forties and it weighed a ton. And so I'm walking into this house, show, just clink, 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 clink. Yeah. And literally just start handing out forties to everyone, you know, and some of these are 15 year old kids probably at this podcast <laughs> show. And I'm just like, it's camo claws, whatever, you know, like this um you know and i did it long before wu-tang did that at their con- i don't know if you've ever seen wu-tang in concert but they no. in 40s to the audience oh, and wow. there's a lot of underage kids right up front at a wu-tang show <laughs>
1: and you started that you you were you started it yeah <laughs>
0: what is the uh house party robin hood well house party robin hood was something that i actually started doing before uh like i really my drinking got super out of control but there's also a lot of like uh fratty you know, house shows or house parties and stuff here, not shows, but house parties. And me and my friends are all fairly large and fairly tattooed, uh, you know, and rough around the edges. And so we would if we were going to a punk rock house show and we knew that there was one of these frat shows going frat parties going on at a house, not at a frat house, but just at somebody's house. We would just show up, roll in, just take alcohol and walk out the back door and then take it to the punk rock shows. Really? And they're not going to do anything.
1: Yeah. And they're so not. we
0: did that a couple of times where we would just like, oh, well, fuck." this is ours boys. now. And these sorority girls like this is ours now. And we're going to redistribute it <laughs> like you bought all this with your fucking dad's credit card anyway. Yeah. We're going to give it to these like uh, Crest Punk kids that are living behind the closed down restaurant, you know? <laughs> that's
1: awesome, man. God, you were Robin Hood. That's, Took that's from the rich, good.
0: gave to the poor. Yeah.
1: Fuck yeah. Booze, bag, Robin Hood, house party, Robin Hood. I love it, man. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Plug everything one more time. Plug the festival, the album,
0: the whole thing. All right. We'll start with the podcast since I kind of go out and with that. It's called Take These Songs. And a guest comes on and they bring four songs that uh, really mean a lot to them. Something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue. And they talk about each one of those songs. Something old is any song that is 25 years or older. Something new is any song that came out in the last calendar year. Something borrowed is a cover song. And something blue is any song that they have a strong emotional reaction to. It tends to be like sad songs, but it's like anything that they really get in the feels about. Um, I love Eminem. Boom. I think it's very good. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's your ICPs. Your, you know, yeah. No. And I'd love to have you on the podcast if you're a music. Yeah, absolutely. I it. love music. It's very. I, I'm very proud of it. I think it's a good podcast. It's an interesting way to talk about music. Um, and then, yeah, my brand new comedy album, Midnight Nachos, uh, will be out by the time you hear this. It's available on he- Helium Comedy Records. You can get all the links for all that stuff at my website, which is madalonomartincomedy.com. Uh, there's only one T in my first name. So that hyphen is mat-alano-martin-comedy.com. You're smiling because you can tell I've said this a lot before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why I like the Brennan T comedy. It's very succinct. No hyphens.
0: Uh, <laughs> You're thank- much smarter than I am. <laughs>
1: Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Everybody, check out the album, Midnight Nachos. Check out the Limestone Comedy Fest uh, if you're in the Midwest next summer. Uh, Brennan T Comedy on all social media, BrennanTComedy.com. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Patreon, and the new merch is out. I will be at The Stand, Greenwich Village Comedy Club. So much stuff going on. Just check out the website. Uh, And we'll talk to you all next week. Perfect. Right on, man. Thanks for having
0: me. I really appreciate it.